morning to a new year. 2012. I so much want you to grow in your theological education. Now I have what I call a 210 concern in Judges chapter 2 verse 10, Joshua died. And it says that he was gathered with all his fathers. It's a Hebrew way of saying he died. And it says that a new generation grew who did not know the Lord nor what he had done. I thought, you're kidding me. The, the, these are the kids of the folks who went around Jericho and saw that thing happen. These, the, these are the grandkids to uh, those who were enslaved in Egypt and walked through Red Sea on dry ground. I, I want to declare all these kids idiots. But the reality is that a whole, in, in, within generation, they forgot theology. They thought, forgot who God was and what he'd done. I guess that's why I'm driven. That's why I'm president of Phoenix Seminary. That's why I want to really encourage you to go to this apologetic uh, uh, conference that we are co-sponsoring here at Scott's the Bible. Now, I know you're wondering, apologetic, what is that? You know, we're going to get together and apologize to each other. No, 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 no. It comes from Peter, 1 Peter 3, 15, when he says, now, sanctify Christ as your Lord. Separate him so people know he's important to you by always being ready. To give a reason, an apologia. The word means a defense, a reason for the hope that lies within you. You should always be able to defend and give reasons for the why you hope in Jesus Christ. And we're bringing these two guys from Cambridge basically to, to help us understand more reasons to strengthen and encourage your faith. On top of that, and by the way, that would be a good conference to bring those that you know who mock the faith, who are unbelievers. But for uh, my class, leave the mockers home. I don't have patience for them. Starting January 23rd, we'll do the last half of the president's class. Monday night, 6.30, right here. At about 700 folks show up for study of Job. So we finished the first half. I have to admit, the last few lectures was a little slow rolling there. Old Job's howling at the moon. He's really hurting big time. Well, now we're going to do the last seven lectures starting January 23rd. We'll finish the book of Job, chapter 22, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 42. And God finally is going to speak and respond to Job's howling to the moon. So it's free. That's the good news. Although I do take some offerings because I need some help at the seminary. But it's free. Bring, come along, bring your Bibles, bring your notes. And we gather together and we uh, walk you through the end of Job. That starts January 23rd. All of you, all of you are, are invited. Well, I was um, driving this morning uh, up Scottsdale Road and I was thinking about 2012. thought, you know, here we are, 2012. I actually, when I just turned 30, back in the early 80s, I actually thought about the year 2012. That's why I was thinking about it this morning. Because I was first wondering, would I still be alive in 2012? And then I remember crystal clear thought, what will it feel like to be an old man? I thought, oh, well, here we are. And uh, I'll tell you, other than my giant print Bible, it doesn't really feel a whole lot different. And I do know some things haven't really changed. I've always had a hard time waiting on anything. And yeah, we're going to talk today about those who wait on the Lord, their strength will be renewed what does it mean to wait on the Lord this new season, this new year? I, I've been lovingly asked if I have a history of, of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I guess you call it ADHD. And then people want to know if I had Ritalin when I was a child. 
It's like asking somebody if they ate paint chips as a child. Uh, well, they didn't have Ritalin back then. Maybe it would have had. But I don't know, why, why do you call it a disorder? Uh, yesterday, some friends took me to um, Gammy's Theater. Here's the playbill. Stomp. Have you seen this thing? Stomp. They basically spend two hours stomping. And, 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 and I'll tell you, they cannot sit still and be quiet without making noise. The noise becomes rhythm. And they're called geniuses. And they're becoming millionaires. And they are all H-D-A-D. They're all whatever this thing is. H-A-D-H-D. And they're making money on it. My, my thought is, what if it's not a disorder? What if we're normal? And you're just slow. But the question does come up. How does somebody who is apparently ADHD, how do we wait on the Lord? How do we wait for anything? Solomon tells us in his uh, journal, in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, that life basically throws itself at us in seasons. It's not like this one unfolding story. It's like these shot of different seasons. And wisdom is knowing when you are exiting one season and entering into another season. Now the idea is take the wisdom you learned from the last season, but then realize everything's new. This is a new ball game. And now we're starting 2012. Could this be kind of a, a new season? Remember the old folk rock group talking about being old, the birds? In the early 60s, they... Uh, they were a rhythm and blue band. And one of their big songs was, remember, based on Ecclesiastes 3, and it was turn, turn, turn. There is a season for turn, turn. There is a season. They even recognized the wisdom that life is bit, bits of chunks. It's not one story. But all these chunks fit into some kind of a plan. See, you see God tells the Jews in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he had plans for them, and that the plans he had for Israel were plans of health and wealth, good plans. I want to know, does that promise apply to me? If God had plans for his people Israel, does God have plans for me? Is there a plan for God for my life? Now I know that Paul says in Philippians 1.6 that he was confident of this very thing that, that God has begun in my life will be completed till the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul seems to feel that there is a plan that's unfolding and God's got a plan for my, my life. Later on in Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 13, remember Paul says, don't you know it is God who is in you, who is there to both do and to will his good pleasure. So, so the Spirit of God's not just for a free ride within us. He's producing something that is this unfolding plan that he has for my life. So that just leaves me one question. How do I not screw it up? I want to know, how do I not mess up the season, this, in this particular season I have, the plan that God is unfolding? How do I cooperate with God in this season? And apparently has everything to do with waiting on God, if whatever that, that means so that his plan actually unfolds. I know it's my nature, it's our nature to come up with all kinds of plans. Uh, Proverbs 16, Solomon says, uh, the plans of the heart belong to man, so we come up with all our plans, but, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Kind of he's got the final say on these plans. 
He says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. I mean, I've got some great plans, but the Lord weighs the motives. Yeah, but you've got a messed up motive here. So he says, commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So somehow he's connecting my plans for my life, and somehow God is going to establish them. But are they his plans? Are they my plans? How do these two things come together? I remember that great phrase in Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am God. You know, I struggled with that verse when I first read it as a kid, and I struggle with it now. I don't like being still. I don't know if I know how to be still and to wait. I've always said, as you know, that all wisdom really is the accumulation of, boy, I'm not going to do that again. And it takes a little bit of time to, to accumulate enough mistakes. You say, you know, we're not going to go that direct. We're not going to go out that plan. But you know, I have some blood on my tunic after these 62 years, and I, I've learned a few things. These seasons that, that all fit into God's plan and folded into my life, well, some seasons are pretty good. Ninth grade was pretty good. 12th grade was great. 7th grade was horrible. I just find that there's difference. Some are great, some are not. Some are bad. Some are worse than bad. And yet, in each of these seasons, this apparently it's a skill, it's an art to be able to know how to wait on the Lord no matter what season I'm in so God's plan can work itself out in my, my life. You will open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 37. It was Martin Luther himself that referred to the book of Psalms as the holy, holy of the Bible. Because in the book of Psalms, it's one of the books of wisdom literature. It, 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 it's about basically the heart, the gentle heart of the wisdom of God. How we express worship and, and, and God expressing His heart and then how God handles our deep emotions and feelings and our heart. It's all in the book of Psalms. And here in Psalm 37, he's going to talk about what I call A to the fourth power. What is this art, this skill of waiting, being still and knowing God is God, and letting in whatever season I'm in, letting his plan unfold for my life so I don't mess it up big time? Psalmist begins with first A to the first power. And A to the first power apparently has everything to do with what happens between your ears attitude. Look at the first two verses, Psalm 37. Psalmist says, do not fret. David says, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers, for, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. He says, the first thing with your attitude is get focused off of everybody else and onto yourself and what God is doing in, in your life. Stop being so distracted by what you think God is doing, blessing or cursing everybody else around you. I've talked about before that we've got this nose problem. God packs our bags uniquely. And He has a plan for you and He's got a plan for you. And He packs our bags uniquely different with different skills and abilities and resources and talents and, and whatever it might be. And what do we do? We spend all our time sticking our nose in everybody else's bag, right? And we don't even take a look at our own. Because we are so distracted with how good everybody else has it, especially when they're jerks, right? That's what he's talking about here. 
When the guys are evil, they lie, they cheat, they manipulate. They, they, they don't represent themselves well. And it seems like God's just blessing their little socks off. Seems like I like God's plan for them better than I like the one in my bag. And so the first thing he says, A to the first power, is, hey, eyes, uh, uh, eyes on me, eyes in your own bag. Be concerned about what my plan for you, not for everybody else. You know, Peter struggled with this. The last chapter of the Gospel of John. It's kind of interesting. You remember Peter's blown it. He, he betrays Christ three times. And in John 21, Jesus has kind of given him a, 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 a divine mulligan, all right? You know what I'm saying? Really, three of them. Kind of gives him three shots to try to make this thing right. And Peter gets it right. Peter's still fearful that he's going to bail out on Jesus next time he's under stress and pressure again. And Jesus does something interesting. He assures Peter, Peter, you're going to be faithful to me until your death because they're going to kill you because of your faith. <laughs> now that's kind of a mixed bag of good, bad news. I mean, wouldn't you love someone to say, you know, you're not going to die of natural causes. You're going to be killed. They're going to tie you up and crucify you upside down. I mean, I think I'd have a little paralysis for the rest of my life. Is this the day I go, you know? But it was good news to Peter because Peter was, his soul was so concerned he was going to bail out again. Well, the part in John 21 is that, so Jesus is telling Peter, don't worry, they're going to tie you up, take you where you don't want to go. You're going to be faithful to death. Peter goes, mm-hmm. And then Peter turns and he sees John, the one whom Jesus loved, the youngest of the disciples, the one who wrote the gospel. He sees John walking behind him. And he says, well, Jesus, what about him? <laughs> what about him? And, and Jesus says, Peter, eyes on me. He says, you don't be concerned about him. If he stays alive until I return again, it's none of your business. You keep your eye, I want your attitude on me and what I'm doing in your life. Peter struggled with it. We all do. A to the first power, attitude. Let's stay focused on what God is, his plan for my life. Well, then that moves us to uh, A to the second power, abiding. Look at verse 3. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Abiding. In John 15, remember Jesus talks about the night before he's crucified. He talks about the fact, he says, you know, I am the, the vine, you were the branches. And my father's the vine dresser. Branches, they're the healthiest when they stay connected to the vine. If you cut them off from the vine, they're just firewood. So he says, as, as a branch, you need to abide in me. You abide in me, you abide in my love. And then in John 15 tells exactly what he means. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And you're abiding in my love, you're abiding in me. So this, this abiding is, is keeping the commandments of Christ. Now, now what, how do you, what does that mean? Well, again, David puts it in these words in verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> A few million times. Yeah, trust in the Lord. But what does it mean? The, 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 I want to take you back to the, the Hebrew language. The original language here. And the word trust is the Hebrew word bathok. And bethok means to fall down on your face prostrate in front of somebody with no agenda. Whatever you say goes. That's what the word trust means. So this idea of trust in the Lord, literally what he's saying is, God, I have no agenda here, no personal agenda. It's your plan or no plan. God, I bring nothing to the table. Whatever you want, 
that's what's going to happen. But God, I don't know. What is it that you want? And we get so caught up with, what is God's will for my life? What is God's plan for my life? Well, look at the next verse. I mean, in the last part of this, uh, verse 3. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and cultivate faithfulness. Literally, that word cultivate means to feed on. Feed on being faithful, or it can also mean feed on His faithfulness to you. But the idea is here, don't worry about what is God's plan, what is God's will. God's already given you enough for you to cultivate and feed on being faithful. You already know much of what would honor the Father. You know much of the commands of Christ. You know what God wants you to do. So dwell in the land where you're at right now and just be about abiding, obeying the commands of Christ that you do know. Don't worry about what you don't know. And don't worry about how this is going to fit into the future. You just got to keep the focus on, all right, what is it that honors God now that I'm doing right now that I have control now? See, the point is this. The reason is the plan of God will never be in conflict with the will of God. It's like, yeah, but you know, if I do the will of God today, maybe I'll mess up the plan of God. No, 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 no. Remember how do you eat an elephant? You've never eaten an elephant, huh? Me neither. But I've been told you break it up into small chunks, right? So it is that if life is small chunks of seasons, even those seasons have small chunks of individual obedience. Anytime I do the will of God, I obey the will of God, then I am beginning to carry out that cooperation with his plan for my life. Paul, his last will and testament, Paul's dying. He, he writes this last will and testament. It's called 2 Timothy. And in chapter 2, verse 15, he comes right out and he says, now, now present yourself a workman who need not be ashamed of themselves, rightly dividing the word of truth. So therefore, he says, be diligent, study. In other words, make it a big deal I want to be about rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to know what God says so I can do it. You know the famous verse of, of uh, Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've heard people talk about, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. They talk about the Holy Spirit like he's a liquid. The Holy Spirit's not a liquid. You don't bubble out Holy Spirit. Like I've said before, do Christian midgets have as much Holy Spirit as you? See, don't think about the Holy Spirit as a liquid. And when it says that be not drunk, but be filled, the word filled, plerao, means to be controlled by. It's how does one person control another person? Whenever the person yields their will to another, they are controlled by that person. So what he's simply saying is this. You want to know what Scripture means? For example, Ephesians 5.18, look at the context. Don't you hate it when people rip you out of context? Context begins in verse 14 of Ephesians 5. Where he says, don't be unwise, but rather be wise. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. Then he says this, so therefore understand the will of God. For in do sowing, then you can be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, what he's saying is this, God empowers obedience. Anytime that I abide, anytime I obey something that Christ has told me to do, even if I'm sitting there whining about it, well, I don't think I can do that. I won't be popular with the kids if I do that. Or I'll lose my job if I do that. You understand that God empowers obedience. 
that it's going to take some kind of supernatural something for me to obey something God says, then prepare to see supernatural something. Because God, the Spirit, empowers obedience. So when he says that we're to abide, what he's talking about is dwell in the land, wherever you're at right now, just be about doing what you already know honors the Father. What you already know is a command of Christ in your life. And if you don't think you can pull it off, do it anyway, and you'll see the Spirit of God empower your obedience to do so. Well, this leads us to the uh, A to the third power. If A to the first power is attitude, stay focused, what is God doing in my life? A to the second power, abide, dwell in the land, and, and just do be about being faithful to what you already know. But then A to the third power, well, that's affection. This is interesting. Look at verse 4. This is a promise of an implantation. Look at what he says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I used to believe that was the Christmas verse. Uh, be really, really, really good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you everything you want. Apparently, that's not what the verse means. From my experience... Because I've been very, very good for a long time. I'm a minister. They pay me to be good. And I don't always get everything I want. But again, may I take you back to the original language, the Hebrew. And here's what the Hebrew actually says. This is what David wrote. Take pleasure in pleasing the Lord, and he'll implant his desires in your heart. That's what Paul meant in Philippians 2.13. Don't you know it was God who is in you both to do and to will his good pleasure? You mean somehow God's going to implant His desires in my heart so my desires are actually His desires implanted in me? How does that work? Well, how did it work for Judas? Many of you, I, I haven't had a chance to meet. I know many of you are new to me. But, but, but I've taught many times, what's the dumbest thing Judas ever did? This is not a hard question. <laughs> what was the biggest bummer in Judas' life? He betrayed Christ. Now, Judas, if you're going to betray somebody, don't betray the guy who walks on water and starts storms. He can hurt you. Betray one of the other lugs. But, not, but it was not Judas's idea. John 13, verse 2 says, And Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray Christ. Satan implanted that thought and that desire. Interesting, in the Hebrew language, that is in the Old Testament, they don't really have a word for mind. They, they, when they refer to the mind, they use the word leb, lev, and it means heart. To the Jew, the, when he talked about one's heart, that was your center of volition, your deep thoughts and deep desires. We get this idea that our thoughts and desires come from like a black hole. Like we don't know where they come from. Yes, we do. We know that God can implant thoughts and desires. Not all thoughts and desires are your own. But apparently, powers of darkness can plant thoughts and desires. And apparently, a bad pizza can do as well. I mean, we come up with our own ideas and our own thoughts. You know, it's interesting to me. In John 8, 16, Paul says, Don't you know that the Holy Spirit in you bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? That means there's communication going on. Bible's over here. I'm over here. But I found just a very simple way to know Who's authoring my thoughts and desires? If I get a thought and a desire and it's really, really self-serving and selfish, 
That comes from me. That's me. That's my nature. That's my flesh. Proudly comes out with me. Nothing spiritual about it. On the other hand, if I get a thought and a desire, and it's absolutely selfless and actually benefits someone else, serves someone else, and I get nothing out of it, I know that's not me. That's the Spirit of God. Those are the kind of thoughts and desires the Spirit of God produces. But if I get a thought and desire and it's evil, that is, it produces pain, suffering, damage, hurt to myself, my family, or others. And that didn't come from me, and that didn't come from the Spirit of God. That came from powers of darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says, Don't you know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but harassing forces of darkness? How do you think they harass? Not all thoughts are your own. Not all desires are your own. But here he says, Daryl, you take pleasure in pleasing God as your Father, and He will implant His desires in your heart. You know, it makes sense to me because the, even the desire to want to treat God as a father, honor him as a father, was produced by God in the first place. <laughs> you look at me funny. Uh, Ezekiel 36 says that when the Messiah comes, not only will you be forgiven, your sins be forgiven, but, this, but he's, the prophet says, but God will place his spirit within you and his spirit will cause you to walk in his statutes. Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, Not only will I forgive your sins and your iniquities, I'll remember no longer, but I will place my law within your heart. You have this deep desire to honor me as your father. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, Here's how you know you're a child of God. Here's one of the spiritual birthmarks. Every believer has a desire to keep the commandments of Christ. So it was the Spirit of God who gave me this deep desire to honor God, honor God as my father, so would it not be the same Spirit of God would give me ideas and desires and thoughts on how to do so? And that's what he promises right here. This is a promise of an implant. See, again, remember, the plan of God for your life will never conflict with the will of God for your life today and your obedience to Christ today. It's my that famous promise of Proverbs 3, remember verses 5 and 7, we memorized it as little kids, well those, some of us did Proverbs 3, 5, remember he says, trust in the Lord, same word, but thought, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, perception but acknowledge him in all thy ways God, it's your agenda what do you want? Acknowledge him in all thy ways and he will make, here's the promise he'll make your pathways what? Straight the plan of God for your life will unfold right before your eyes. And there's going to be A to the fourth power. And what is A to the fourth power? Affirmation. Look at how the paragraph ends, verses 5 to the beginning of chapter, of verse 7, excuse me. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He'll do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I love this phrase, commit your way to the Lord. You know what the Hebrew is? Roll it on to Jehovah. Literally, it's roll it on to Jehovah. Stop being so uptight about this. Christians seem to get so stressed out on being good. Well, God plans for me to be good, so i got to be perfect. Hey, there's a difference between excellent and perfect. Perfect is dumb. Excellent, that's something to pursue. 
but there's some wiggle room. Here he says, commit your way, rule on Jehovah, trust also in him, he'll do it. He'll do it. What is the it? It's the plan of God unfolding for your life. Well, what is it? Notice, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. As the mornings may be cloudy, you're Northern California in Santa Cruz, mornings are cloudy, but right around noon, the clouds just float away and the sun comes through, he says, clarity on God's plan for your life will be that clear because the clouds, because it will be revealed to you. And what is the it? Your righteousness. What is your righteousness? Remember, we've taught about this before. The word righteous, to be made righteous, is exactly the same word uh, to be made justified. Oh, what does that mean? It's an architectural term, remember? If you're an architect and you're drawing a right angle, you take two lines and you hook them at the end and you put 90 degrees between the two. And when you've got your right angle, those lines are justified. They're in a right relationship. What he's talking about here is what is the right relationship? What is the plan of God for your life? A right. You live out your life in a right relationship with your heavenly Father. You see, God has all kinds of creatures. He's got dogs and bugs and snakes and pigs and us. But we're different from all the other animals because we're created in His image. Now why would He create us in His image? Because He didn't want a relationship of creator to creature. Because if creature has consciousness, the best they can do is try to appease the creator. So let's find a virgin. If we can find one, and throw her in a volcano. Or let's go ahead and make up a hundred different religions. God says, no, no, no. I want this to be in a right relationship. And that's why I sent my son. I sent my son. I said the relationship that I have with the second person of Trinity is a father to a son. And every time I had my son pray to me, I had him refer to me as father. That's why I sent my son, John chapter 1, verse 12, so that as many believe in him, to them God gave the authority for them to become the children of God. That's why again in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit, we are children of God. God doesn't want a relationship of creature to a creator, but a son and a daughter to a father, and a father to a son and a daughter. How do you know that, Daryl? Because 2 Corinthians 6 says, God says, I will be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me. And what is the characteristic of a child, of a father? They have a deep desire to want to honor their father. And so how do you know you've come to know Christ the Spirit of God has given you this deep desire to honor God as your Heavenly Father. As your Heavenly Father. And here's, that's why he says, roll it on to Jehovah. Because God's plan for your life is how are you going to live out being and pleasing and honoring your Heavenly Father. Meanwhile, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That word rest means be quiet. Yeah, but be quiet, Daryl. Yeah, but what if? Be quiet, Daryl. Yeah, but if I do that, be quiet, Daryl. And it's like Paul says at the Philippians 4. You know, don't you understand that God is in control of the details of your life? Most of us don't believe that. We believe God's in charge of my life. But I'm talking about he's in charge of the details so she dropped you like a hot potato. 
God's in charge of the details. You lost your job. God's control of the details. You, 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 you're failing this test. God wants you to study more. <laughs> but he's still in charge of the details. And when we realize, God, you are in control of the details of my life, Paul says, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will protect your mind and your soul. Be quiet. Stop all the what abuts. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? This is all affirmation. The affirmation of peace. That I know, you know, A to the first power. God, I'm not going to compare my life to everybody else. I'm going to stay focused on what you're doing in my life. A to the second power, God, I'm just going to abide. I'm going to dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. I'm just going to obey what I already know would honor you. And in God, A to the third power, I, I, I'm the affections, I'm going to let you put the affections, the desires in my heart, and I'm just going to do whatever desire you give me to do as long as it honors you as my Father. And Lord, A to the fourth power, I'm going to have some rest in my life. Instead of being all stressed out, all worried and concerned and driven by fear, I'm just going to take a breath. And if it honors the Father and he gives me a desire to do it, I don't care what it is, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> I wanted to go to UCLA. But you had to have a B average. I had too much fun in high school. I um, married Holly my senior year, college. She was an executive secretary, started doing my papers, correcting my grammar. She brought my average up. My final year, I pulled a 3.5. That brought my total average to 2.7. <laughs> Which meant uh, to be accepted at Talbot Seminary, you had to have a 3-0. Don't qualify. But John MacArthur is my boss, and he has pull. With the Holy Spirit, of course. So I entered Talbot Seminary on probation. I'm a president of a seminary. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if you think God's plan for your life is going to blow your own socks off. Don't ever limit what he has in mind. But you just, well, the Geek Squad and the uh, Cox guy shows up tomorrow morning. Geek Squad. I remember in high school we used to beat up the geeks. <laughs> now we got to treat them respect or we can't watch TV. And the guy's telling me, well, well, do you have HD? Do you have HD? Do you want HD? Well, I already have HD. I've had HD for almost 42 years. Holly Del Huse. I don't need more HD. No, 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 no. Do you want high definition? You want high definition on your TV? High definition. So you can see the warts and the cracks and everything. High definition. Sure, I want high definition. But I started thinking, but you know what I want more is I want HD in life. I want high definition of my life. 
I want clarity in my life. I thought HD, that kind of summarizes the whole thing. H. I just asked myself the question, will this honor God as my father? Yes or no? Yeah, but there was a whole lot of stuff you could do to honor God as your father. You could sell your home, be a missionary, you know, you give your life, lots of things to do. Yeah, that's why it's HD. First question, will it honor God as my father? Second question, and do I have a desire to do it? God will implant unique, different desires in every one of us, and we will all be honoring God as our father differently, as different as a rainbow colors. That's why it's HD, clear, high definition of life. God, my question, will honor you as my father, and have you given me the desire to do it? This is what Augustine meant when he said, love God and do whatever you want. That's what he's talking about. And so maybe this year doesn't need to be a bunch of whatabuts and stressed out as much as it was last year. Why don't you just go for it? Go for HD, high definition of life. All the decisions you make that the things you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to buy, where you're going to work, all your decisions. It's a very simple HD filter. God, will this honor you as my father? God, have you planted me a desire to do it? Because A to the first power, attitude, I'm not going to get distracted. A to the second power, abiding. I'm just going to honor God and obey what I know already would. A to the third power, affection. I'll just trust he'll plant his desires in my heart and I'll carry out those desires as long as they honor God as my father. And A to the fourth power, affirmation. I expect to have a life of rest. I'm 62 now. I need a year of rest being very, very busy seeing God unfold his plan for my life. Does this make sense? We'll do it again tonight at five if you're confused. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness to all of us and that you have not left us in the dark and you have not abandoned us. Father, I thank you so much that now as we move into remembering what made this all possible, Lord, the gift of your son as we now partake of communion may this burn this truth into our hearts we ask in the name of christ